From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. This is the aforementioned The Conspiracy Show. I am Richard Serrett, your humble host. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, warm yourself by the fire. You are among friends. I see through the glass Ian Robertson is back. Good to have you back. You were really sick last week, weren't you? Felled by some virus. Tis the season, right? Tis the season. I've uh, luckily been spared so far, but I I think the last two years running, I have had pneumonia. And once you get pneumonia, you're very susceptible. So knock on Formica. <laughs> I guess that's what that is. I don't know. Everybody tells, oh, get the flu shot, get the flu shot. Listen, I'm not telling you what to do. Everywhere it's advertised, free flu shot, come and get your jab in the arm. There's jingles on the air, get the flu shot, get the flu shot. And uh, I guess because you're, you know, you're on radio, you're in front of a microphone, I'm supposed to tell everybody to go get the flu shot. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to shill. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you to get the flu shot. I'm not telling you to not get the shot. I don't get the flu shot. I don't do the flu shot. I'm not going to shill for the uh, flu vaccine manufacturers. Capiche? Are we straight on that? Sorry, I sound like a real crank. Uh, If I'm not careful, I may be visited by three spirits starting around midnight on Christmas Eve. Uh, Albert Venzel is is here, as per usual, running our Hangout on Air. How is that? Are we up and running? Excellent. He gives me the thumbs up. He doesn't speak much. He's very mysterious. Uh, If you want to watch the uh, the radio program and stream it live on YouTube, you just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. I'll spell that for you, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. You go to the top of the feed, or near the top, and you'll find the tweet with an H-O-A, that's Hangout on Air, and uh, you just click on that link, presto, you are in, and you can see uh, me sitting here in my seasonally appropriate attire, my red sweater, and uh, hopefully... If everything's working properly, you'll see our guests on their webcams as well. Uh, David Yurth is standing by. He's an inventor, co-founder of Nova Institute of Technology. He's in Salt Lake City, and he, uh, the inventor of a device. This is groundbreaking stuff, i got to tell you. You really want to pay attention to what you're about to hear. Uh, they have completed the successful testing of something called the Corona Discharge Gas Plasma Disassociation System. There will be a test afterwards, so pay attention. CDGPDS, trademark, Corona Discharge Gas Plasma Disassociation System. It's essentially a device that eradicates all exhaust fumes produced by internal combustion engines before they leave the tailpipe. All right, not just for uh, a vehicle, not just for a passenger vehicle. This can also work on a refinery, for example, or a uh, a coal-burning electricity plant. It's the end of air pollution, essentially. And CO2, for those of you who subscribe to anthropogenic global warming, you know I have been very... uh, Vocal, uh, I'm on the record, is saying I do not subscribe to that. However, CO2, carbon monoxide, doesn't matter. What's ever coming out of the tailpipe, it is gone with this device. It has been uh, tested successfully. 
Now, I spoke to David Yurth uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe a little bit longer, on, on Coast to Coast. And uh, we, we talked at some length. But I feel so strongly that this technology is a game changer, a paradigm buster. I know that's a cliche, but in this case, I believe it's true. And so I have brought David on tonight, uh, just for an hour, uh, to uh, reprise our, our previous conversation, albeit a truncated version. Think about it. With this device, we can essentially burn fossil fuels with abandon. We can uh, bring an industrial revolution to developing countries and provide cheap, plentiful coal to these places. I know the uh, the carbon Nazis, as they have they been called in some quarters, they don't like to hear that word coal. We're supposed to be eradicating coal. We no longer burn coal uh, to provide electricity here in, in Ontario. But it's cheap. It's plentiful. Why not? But why not bring coal... Uh, coal-burning plants to places like Africa, the developing world, we could lift billions of people out of poverty. Why don't they get their industrial revolution? Well, we can. Let me just uh, um, crib here from a press release from David Yurth. The CO2 device can be retrofitted to every internal combustion engine on the planet. The device can also be adapted for use in gas vents, used in refineries, exhaust stacks for incinerators, and more than 100 other common uses. David Yurth, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, Richard. Nice, nice to see you again. Nice to see you and hear you again. All right. Uh, for those who uh, weren't uh, along for the ride during our first go-around a couple of weeks back on Coast, uh, guess, give us the uh, the Coles Notes version of how this CO2 device works exactly. Uh, let me just say before we begin that um, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you tonight. Uh, we we did pretty well when we got together on Coast to Coast, and our uh, our response from your listeners on the Coast to Coast program is nothing short of overwhelming. That's terrific. That's good news. It took about two weeks for us to work our way through all of the emails that we received. So uh, somebody must have been paying attention. I'm glad to hear it. Well, let's see if we can yeah. do the same thing tonight. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Um, you know, let me just preface my remarks by saying that you know, we've been around long enough to know that when it comes to dealing with issues related to the environment, there really is no silver bullet. The problem's complex because the world's a big place and there are lots of sources of contamination, uh, all of which are related to some kind of a human activity that's indispensable. So, you know, we've watched what's happened with the climate change debate. We've watched what's going on in Paris. We've watched what's gone on with cherry-picking the science and the political machinations that been dancing back and forth and all around this issue. And nobody's actually solving the problem. But we don't we don't really care much at Nova Institute about the politics of it. Um, when I write novels about science, uh, I always begin by asking the question: If you could, dot dot dot, would you? And the follow-on question then becomes: If you did, what would happen? In this case, the question is: If you could dissociate, remediate do away with contaminating, noxious, polluting gases generated by the combustion of fuels, 
and prevent those contaminants from getting into the environment, would you? And from our point of view, the answer is unequivocally yes, we would. Yeah, ask the people in China right now, in, in, in places like Beijing, where the uh, the pollution index is off the charts. I mean, they are artists are making solid bricks from the particulates in the air. That's how bad the air pollution is in China right now. But that's true in Mexico City. It's true in other places on on the planet. Forty years ago, when I was living in Japan, when I was a when I was a dependent there, um, people were already wearing face masks uh, because the contamination of the air in the Tokyo uh, metropolitan area was so lousy that uh, it was it was killing people, it was making them sick. So you know, the question is, if you could, would you? And the answer is yes. And the follow-on question is, if you did, what would happen? Well, three things are going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen is that we're going to give people hope that the planet we live on is not, by default, destined to take all of us to extinction because we can't control ourselves. Uh, the second thing that's going to happen is that there are going to be some important changes that are made possible by the advent of a brand-new technology. The third thing that's going to happen is there are going to be some big winners and there are going to be some big losers, and that's not our problem. Our problem is that as long as human industry continues to pump 30 million tons of contaminating greenhouse gases into the environment every day, the planet has almost gotten to the point at which it can no longer assimilate those gases and, and, and survive uh, the, uh, the results of all of the pollution. And it's not just greenhouse gases. There are lots of things that contaminate our planet, and, you know, we don't, we don't pretend to be able to deal with all of them. Well, but with this one, with this one, we do know what to do. Right, right. We're not talking just about, again, CO2. There's carbon monoxide. There's benzene and the, all of the... The exhaust profile of anything you burn contains basics. You always get carbon particulates. It takes various forms. In power plants, it becomes ash. In the forest fires, it becomes soot. Uh, when you burn wood and coal, it becomes carbon particulates of one kind or another. You always get carbon dioxide, which is a natural product of combustion. The carbon in the fuel is dissociated, and it combines with oxygen and makes carbon dioxide. Carbon monoxide is also a common product of combustion. And carbon monoxide is a product of combustion that is not efficient. The less efficient your combustion is, the more carbon monoxide you get in the exhaust profile. And you get oxides of nitrogen. In some cases, you get oxides of sulfur. And sometimes you get oxides of mercury. And then when you get into more exotic fuels... Uh, when you mix oil with gasoline and burn it in a two-stroke engine, then you get a half a dozen more uh, carbon long-chain hydrocarbon molecules that are that are terribly carcinogenic. That's the blue smoke that comes out the back of a two-stroke motorcycle or a tuk-tuk. What about benzene? There are, only, there are only one and a quarter billion of those on the planet now. So, wow. you know, if you can figure out how to dissociate those gases before they get out of the tailpipe, why in the world wouldn't you? And you have. And you have. Well, we have. And this is not, 
this is not something that happened overnight. I mean, this is not like winning the lottery. We didn't just fall into this. Uh, this this thing going on for a long time. But uh, the research. Go ahead. No, I, I was going to say because we're coming up on a break here. But uh, but but to to cut to the chase. I mean, you send out this press release, and yeah. let's let's be honest. I mean, it was met with. Well, at least from the MSM, the mainstream media, um, a thundering silence. <laughs> is that fair? That's exactly right. Yes, it is. Well, uh, we need to understand why that is. And uh, I think, you know, most of us can sort of figure that out. Uh, but we will explore that when we come back. David Yurth, Nova Institute of Technology. He's got a device that can essentially eradicate air pollution or for those of you who subscribe to man-made global warming get rid of co2 emissions but nobody seems to be listening ha huh, go figure back with more of the conspiracy show my name is richard Serrett. hang out a while will you different views make great conversation this is the conspiracy show with richard Serrett. here's the headline that went out back in september on a uh, PR release, breakthrough CO2 technology eliminates vehicle exhaust fumes at the source. David Yurth is with Nova Institute of uh, Technology in Utah. He joins us on the line. And um, um, so the, the CO2, let's talk about that. Uh, you found a way, and CO2, as, you, as you've said, is a very stable a gas. It's a happy gas. Uh, and so the difficulty has been unwinding it or disassociating the, the component parts of this. It's a, it's a, a three atom molecule, one carbon, two oxygen. You found a way with this device to unwind it, correct? That's correct. And that's part of the problem. Nobody believes it can be done, correct? That is part of the problem. You know, the standard procedure for evaluating dissociation uh, that's commonly practiced in the physics and science community reduces everything to a single lowest common denominator. And uh, whenever the techniques of single source excitation are applied to carbon dioxide, they, they only operate at a nominal uh, efficiency. They, the conventional wisdom is that it takes so much energy to dissociate carbon dioxide that it's not worth it, that it's not it's not possible to dissociate the gas in anything like an energy efficient way. And that's and that's the prevailing opinion. That's what science says. Uh, we know that's not true now. It's a long time to figure out what to do that wasn't being done before. So when this press release went out uh, and you were getting, I'm assuming at least some queries from uh, maybe some scientific journals, maybe not, I don't know, but uh, if, if, in, if that was in fact the case, what would they say or what would their response be when you say, well, we've done this, we've successfully tested it, it's in the lab, it works, we are disassociating CO2, what would you get on the other end? Click, or I don't believe it, click. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the first time... Uh, CO2 gases were successfully dissociated using the precursor for this system 
was in 2008 uh, by associate scientists that we worked directly with in the United Kingdom uh, under private contracts that were controlled by confidentiality agreements. They were able to use a combination of plasma discharge devices and properly calibrated high-voltage discharge systems to dissociate gas molecules uh, with 100% dissociation in both gasoline and diesel-powered engines. They tested uh, high-powered sports cars, and they tested diesel-powered taxi cabs in Scotland. And uh, all of that data is available to us. Uh, we've been looking at it, working on it, developing the techniques and the technologies and the devices. Uh, if this was easy, it would have been done a long time ago. And uh, part of the problem, Richard, we talked about this before, is that in order for this to happen, the the molecule that makes up carbon dioxide, uh, I don't know whether Albert has this available for your online uh, listeners, but I posted uh, an illustration of a carbon dioxide molecule. Uh, Do you have uh, that, Albert? Can we? Yeah, he's got that. He's pulled that up. So those on the yeah, HOA on the, can In the upper right-hand corner of the image. And if you look at that molecule, what you see is carbon in the center and two oxygens connected to either end. And the molecule is linear. That means that unlike water, which is more V-shaped, with the hydrogen in the middle and two big oxygens uh, uh, separated from each other out on the outside of the energy field. With this molecule, you can't you can't take advantage of the oscillation that goes on in water between the oxygens. These oxygens are out on the end and they're spinning. One of the in, one of the illustrations that's also on that page, Albert, is a is an illustration of an energy field that operates with torsion, with spin. Um, Paul Murad uh, and his colleagues did a terrific job of helping us understand what these fields look like uh, in a book called Torsion Physics, A View from the Trenches. And what you see here is a digital representation taken from mathematical data that shows how the spin field of an oxygen uh, interacts with the spin field created by a carbon. If you see the oxygen on one end and the carbon on the other, you can see that that torsion that operates between them is literally what attracts those atoms together. And when you get one out on each end, the carbon dioxide molecule is very nicely balanced, both in terms of mass and in terms of the energy sums uh, and in terms of electrodynamic charges. So when you apply a laser or a radio frequency burst or a microwave or a magnetic field or some other kind of excitation method to this molecule, all you get to do with a single excitation source is to overexcite that spin. So you can bend it a little, uh, you can stretch it a little, you can compress it a little, but you can't torque it out of shape like you can a water molecule. So what we've done instead was to take a page, uh, ultimately, out of uh, papers written by the Russian Academy of Sciences uh, in a document published in, two th in, in, 19, you know, let's see, in 1976. Um, Russian 
theoretical physicists talked about what happens in three atom molecules when uh, an array of properly calibrated plasma fields are applied to 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 gas molecules and what what we've done in the interim since then is about 10 years worth of work understanding how the use of various kinds of apparatus can be used to alter the spin that creates the attractive fields and it you have to think about it in terms of music. Uh, music operates with resonances, and when it sounds good, it means the resonances are, are in a harmonic state. When it sounds terrible, it's because they're dissonant. Right. And what we do, the reason the carbon dioxide molecule is a happy molecule, is because those oxygens spin out there on the end of that thing in an enormous range of temperatures, from what, minus 160 Fahrenheit to over 350, 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit, without coming apart. That means the temperature is not going to suffice to take them apart. Right. What we do know, though, is if you can alter the music, the resonance of the spin, if you can interdite the spin periodically, even momentarily, so that the spin no longer attracts the atoms together, they will come apart. Aha. So, All right. So what we've done is developed a very simple, inexpensive, very effective device that, uh, in the beginning, we designed it to be a new kind of plasma-emitting spark plug. But we adapted the design and the physics, the materials, the architecture, the geometry, the electronics, all of the things that go into it, so that when we use a combination of three of these devices, and in this illustration that uh, Albert uh, has available, you see a picture of the, of the early stage prototype with three of the plasma emitters sticking out the side of the tube. The exhaust goes through the middle of that tube, and each of those uh, emitters attached to its own power supply, um, that's the unit right there, each one of those uh, units that's sticking out through the side is connected to a high-voltage power supply generate upwards of 200,000 volts. And, and there's no, uh, with these gases going through this device uh, and the, the, the voltage required, uh, there's no danger of explosion or fire or anything like that? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. None at all. We're and, in an enclosed uh, uh, environment inside a, uh, an exhaust pipe. Uh, we're not creating any pressures that don't already exist. All right. We're and not igniting fuel. We're dismantling it. How, how big is the device, and where does it go on the car, for example? Well, it, it, the current device, as you see it there, is an early prototype. We used this one to dissociate cold fog water vapor. We can set water vapor on fire inside this apparatus, and we have video clips that show how it works. Yeah, that's a whole other show it, that we'll do on the water engine. <laughs> it's, a whole, it's a whole different animal, but it proves the concept. If you can unwind water on the fly in open air with a plasma field and ignite it, it creates very bright light, like a Coleman camp lantern, lots of noise, electromagnetic fields, and heat. And what it means is that by dissociating in the plasma and recombining those materials, we liberate a huge amount of energy. In a properly designed engine, that energy can be harnessed 
to create shaft torque or do a bunch of other kinds of work functions. So in other words, not only are you eliminating the noxious fumes and CO2 that's coming out of the tailpipe, you're dramatically increasing fuel efficiency, uh, engine wear, and so forth. This piece goes on the end of the tailpipe, but the plasma plugs that replace your spark plugs have an extraordinary effect on the fuel efficiency and the nature of the exhaust profile that's produced when the engine is running. So the combination of these two technologies for automobile exhaust is an end-to-end solution. You get much better fuel economy, you get much better engine life, and you destroy all of the noxious gases before they get out of the tailpipe. So if so, someone were to order, <clears throat> let's say the President of the United States uh, and other leaders of G8 countries uh, were to uh, order auto manufacturers to make this device that you have created standard equipment on all new automobiles and perhaps some sort of a, a tax or a, some sort of a credit um, voucher could be uh, utilized so that people could retrofit their existing automobiles with this device. Uh, I mean, that's the low-hanging fruit in terms of CO2, right, the automobile? Well, you'd think so. Yeah. You'd but, think so. We had some conversations with uh, domestic automobile uh, manufacturers uh, as early as September. And what we discovered is that the not-invented-here syndrome is alive and well in the American automobile industry. Hmm. We published our press release as a matter of accident more than anything else, just 48 hours after the Volkswagen emissions scandal was aired by the world's media. Yes, you think they'd be and, they'd be beating a path and, to your door. That that's right. And and Volkswagen's people did call us, and uh, we are in the process of beginning this kabuki with them. Uh, we're hopeful <laughs> that we'll be able to provide them with an end-to-end solution in a way that will snatch victory from the jaws of imminent disaster for them, and do it in a way that really serves the public interest. But it's also a um, um, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word wonderful, but it's a it's a it's a perfect illustration of why we, for example, we vote for change and change never comes because there's something inherent in the system uh, that prevents innovation like this from well, somehow percolating yeah. up there, to the people there, that make the decisions. There's a dynamic that operates here. The, this piece that's on the screen now. There's a book I wrote, which was published uh, just this last year, called the Ho Chi Minh Guerrilla Warfare Handbook. It's a strategic guide for innovation management. And what it talks about is exactly this issue. If you invent a fabulous new technology that really solves a huge global problem, you know, how do you get, how do you survive the transition from the laboratory to the marketplace? The same forces that Ho Chi Minh had to deal with are exactly the same forces that we have to deal with. Only we have the advantage, in hindsight, of learning how he won a war that he was absolutely supposed to lose. All right, so, we've got that music uh, percolating up here, uh, David, so that means we've got to duck away here just momentarily. We'll come okay, back. And, rock on. All right, we'll be back. David Yurth, Breakthrough CO2 Technology Eliminates... Vehicle exhaust fumes at the source. It's real. This ain't April 1st. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. All right, David Yurth stays with us. 
breakthrough CO2 technology. And, uh, well, here's an interesting um, thing that happened. Uh, you mentioned Volkswagen, and your press release went out, was it, what, 48 hours after the emissions, uh, the diesel emissions scandal? That's right. And they did call you, but what was happening there is they couldn't figure out how to refer you to the decision makers within Volkswagen. They're not set up, in fact, for that, right? They don't know. That isn't that very telling about the way corporations work. They don't know how to get you to someone with ears to hear that can make the important decisions at Volkswagen. Is that is that essentially what happened? Well, in the beginning, yes. Um, we've made considerable progress in the last two or three weeks. Uh, we're in the process of exchanging some documents uh, with their legal people. Uh, our legal counsel has now uh, made himself available to work with them. We have an attorney who uh, is affiliated with our group that is a, a naturalized uh, American citizen from Germany, a native German speaker, who is also licensed to practice law in Germany. So we think we've got a pretty good shot at being able to communicate clearly with Volkswagen senior management uh, when we get to the point where everybody's comfortable enough to uh, begin talking about these issues. The real issue here is that it's difficult to overcome the inertia that is part of the conventional wisdom. Uh, when science has been telling you for 50 years that it can't be done, and then somebody turns around and says, yeah, but we've done it, there's a certain amount of residual resistance there that you have to overcome. And it has to do with establishing sufficient credibility with people so that they can begin to see that this is not just some nutty idea, but it, it is a fact. It is a, uh, an unequivocal, unarguable, demonstrable fact. So our challenge now is to begin having conversations with people uh, at the top of the pyramid in the energy industries uh, who not only want this kind of a solution to come to bear on the problem because of the obvious economic consequences, but because they understand, as we do, that you can't continue to indiscriminately contaminate the planet without paying a long-term price. So, and I have to say that uh, we've had some extraordinarily uh, encouraging responses from people in the provinces in Canada. Excellent. Um, Excellent. We're, we're really excited about the kind of responses and inquiries that we've gotten in the last two and a half weeks from folks who are in the coal industry and in the provinces of, uh, of, of Canada now are struggling under the threat of the closure of coal mines and coal-fired power plants by 2030. Uh, it's destined to create at least a $9 billion deficit uh, in the uh, economy of Alberta uh, uh, by itself. Uh, who knows where that would go if it were to happen. This technology simply says that with the right kind of partners, the science can be engineered and adapted so that emissions created by burning coal can be eliminated before they get into the environment. Well, you fact, you also tried to reach out to the, the people at the UN that were, were, were putting yeah. on this CO2 conference, a global warming yeah, conference in we, Paris. We tried to get in touch with uh, Christiana Figueres and the people at the United Nations Climate Change uh, uh, Agency group there in the UN. And uh, 
you know, we were we were unable to penetrate the the insulation. They're pretty well insulated. Yeah. Um, we've been in touch with a number of the NGOs that have positioned themselves as information distributors uh, with respect to the cockamamie ideas that people are are talking about using to remediate the consequences. They're not talking about solving the problem. What they're talking about doing is putting a Band-Aid on the consequences. It's always the stick, too, and never the carrot. Well, and, and, that's right. And, and here's my theory. It's reactive, Richard. You know that. Well, here's my theory, because if, if they were interested in actually solving the problem, uh, then they would look to innovators like yourself. But it isn't about solving the problem. It's about offering the cure. And the cure is control and carbon tax and getting people out of private automobiles. Uh, that's the agenda I see. Uh, Look, there, there are all kinds of agendas that have, have everything to do with cherry-picking the science, exploiting the opportunities that are created by the pretext of climate change as an uncontrollable, irremediable condition. Either regulations are going to get imposed on those who produce the gases or advantage is going to be taken for alternatives that don't do anything about the problem but create an economic opportunity. So anytime we see people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and the rest of the 21st century equivalent of the robber barons talking about throwing billions of dollars at the problem, we know, based on everything we've seen them do in the last 25 years, that this has nothing whatsoever to do with cleaning up the mess and everything to do with taking advantage of the problem. Exactly. So, so you know... I mean, I've responded. I've been invited to respond to invitations to to participate in the Grand Exploration Challenge by the Gates Foundation for years. And the technologies that get awarded there are all mainstream technologies developed by people who are part of government-sponsored laboratories and university laboratory programs who are all part of the cult of science. Yes, nicely put. David, got to jump in. We'll uh, take one final time out, come back and talk about other applications for David Yurth's device. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Final segment with David Yurth from Nova Institute Technology, Salt Lake City, and uh, we're talking about this CO2 disassociation technology, a device that will eliminate all exhaust fumes from the... Uh, the tailpipe of an internal combustion engine. But it's, it gets even better than that because, as you mentioned, uh, David, uh, coal-burning uh, plants that generate electricity. Uh, imagine bring, bringing coal plants uh, to Africa uh, to be able to burn coal almost with abandon in order to give um, Africa and, and the developing world the industrial revolution that seemed to have passed them by imagine being able to live to lift billions of people was it something like uh, I think it's about five of the seven billion people live on less than two dollars a day imagine being to li- being able to lift them out of poverty and that's going to take an industrial revolution in some se- in, in some ways uh, we could do that now uh, cheap, plentiful coal. It's, it's, it's untapped, virtually. Uh, but we can do that with David Yurth's technology. That to me, that's what has me uh, so excited about this, David. 
what we know about the problem, Richard, is that there really is not a single solution. When you ask the question, if you could remediate all the exhaust gases from burning coal, would you? The answer is yes, of course we would. The other question, what would happen if you did, is a potpourri of unanticipated consequences. If people can indiscriminately burn as much fuel as they need without contaminating the planet, what happens? We don't know. What we do know is that these are bridge technologies. We're on the cusp in our own inventory of technologies, things that we've been developing by ourselves and jointly in research and development efforts with other people. You can see that inventory on our NOVA website by going to the technology page. What we know about this conversation is that if this technology were made ubiquitously available for everybody that burns coal everywhere in the world tomorrow, it would still take two or three full generations for the new technologies which require, which can produce power and perform work without burning any fuel at all to find their way into the marketplace. Right. This we is know bridge what technology. Some of those technologies are. We've designed them, we're building them, we're testing them. We've posted some of them open source on the internet on Sterling Allen Pure Energy Systems Wiki and on a variety of other of other websites. We know that the day of burning fuel to create energy is limited by its very nature. Science is now getting better and better at finding ways to tap the energy that becomes available via the physical vacuum. We published a science model of fine-scale physical interactions as an open-source science monograph on the Internet in 2005. That document gives us the conceptual basis for designing and building machines that burn no fuel, that create no exhaust. And it was in the, in the pursuit of building those engines that we came to grips with this technology, the plasma corona discharge uh, emitter technology that's being used to dissociate exhaust gases. We've worked with others who have developed ceramic materials that just sit there and, and uh, produce electric uh, current. They don't burn anything. They operate according to a principle known as nuclear magnetic spin. Those technologies are real. They've been working for 10 years. They're about to find their way to the market. The day will come when people will never have to plug in their cell phones or their computers again because they'll be powered by ceramic electrodynamic wafers that burn no fuel, that produce power from the physical vacuum, and create no exhaust. But as you that say, that's coming. going to take three or four generations. Fossil fuels are with us for the next time. 50 years. And, uh, and I don't have that much time. I'm an old guy. And what I've got to do before I, before I cross over is find a way to get the technologies that we do know how to do into the marketplace in a way that solves the problem so that the beautiful places I went to when I was a boy can be beautiful again for my grandson. If Volkswagen said yes tomorrow, yep. how long would it take for you to start <clears throat> manufacturing these uh, these units and get them into all brand new vehicles? Well, it's a two-part answer to us to a very simple question. If I were doing it, we would have modules ready to go to manufacture to retrofit on 11 million diesel cars within a year. 
If I'm a German corporation, it'll take three to five years uh, just because of the way they operate. Uh, and that's just the nature of the beast. And price We're pretty per unit? happy about what we do. We have a manufacturing partner who knows how to set this stuff up and get it running. The materials and technologies that we use are off the shelf generally in ubiquitous availability through a variety of different supply chains. So nobody's going to buy up the source of supply and prevent us from getting into the market. If it was up to me, it would take a year. For most original equipment manufacturers, if you put this technology, the spark plugs, the electronics, the dissociator technology into an original equipment, brand new automobile rolling off the assembly line, two important things happen. One, you're going to get rid of the catalytic converter because it has no useful purpose anymore. That's going to reduce the cost of your automobile by four to $6,000 per car. What it's also going to do is liberate 12 to 15 horsepower to the rear wheels. It's also going to mean that you're going to burn air and fuel at a 40 to 1 ratio instead of the current 15 to 1 ratio, which is typical for most internal combustion engines. So an increase in gas mileage by what, 50%? By 100%. 100%? Yes, sir. If you're burning 15 to 1 and you can get more horsepower and burn 40 to 1... That's what this technology does. We're doing it today in our laboratory. Oh, boy. Could that be another obstacle with, uh, could there be some resistance there then on the part of the manufacturers, big oil? They want you to burn lots of gas. I don't think so. I mean, if I was an oil producer, you know, why would I be in resistance to being able to sell petroleum fuels as an extrinsic source of supply to people who can burn all the fuel they need to burn to do whatever they need to do and not contaminate the environment. Mm, right. I mean, just in our rinky-dink little place in Salt Lake City, Utah, the Utah Petroleum Owners Association spent $2 billion in, in 2014 just in marketing and media relations just to prove what good guys they are. Right, right. So, you know... Somebody needs to pay attention. This solves that problem. So we you mentioned with the people ought to be our best friends. With the German uh, culture in terms of their auto auto industry, it Look, would take two to three I years. Think, I think Volkswagen is a victim of their own uh, corporate institutional myopia. It happens to all corporations at some point. They have an opportunity to make good on the promises they made to the governments that subsidized them and the consumers who trusted them and bought their equipment. We can show them how to fix those cars so that not only do they perform far better than they would before, but they produce no exhaust emissions at all. And it's going to cost a whole lot less than Volkswagen had planned on spending just to fix the problem in the way their engineers think they can solve it. And they can't. If I wanted to ret- retrofit my vehicle, let's say this, you start manufacturing these, what would be the, the what do you imagine would be the, the, the retail price for this device? I take it to my well, mechanic. We don't, we don't know for we sure. Know. This is Kitty Hawk days for this technology. You know, it took 35 years for the right flyer to become a DC-3. We don't think it'll take that long for this technology to get mature, but it's going to take a little time. Our best guess, based on everything we know, is that a fully configured retrofit for a four-cylinder engine probably going to cost us about $250 to manufacture. 
which means that the price going out the door installed is going to be somewhere between $400 and $500. And what about a device for a, a coal a burning plant? Well, it depends on how the coal-fired power plant is configured. Most power plants, uh, like the ones in, in uh, the provinces in Alberta, you know, they produce 750 megawatts, but they've got a whole bunch of small units uh, that are 75 to 100 megawatts each that are pumping exhaust gases into a common smokestack. If the technology can be adapted to a scale that fits each one of those floating bed furnaces, then that technology is not going to cost a lot of money. Uh, and it's not going to be difficult to implement. We mentioned air pollution is a, is a very, very serious problem all over the world, but in China right now, and, and they seem to be very serious about doing something about it. Do you have interest they from the... serious. They, they're killing their people. Yeah. Do you have, uh, do you have interest that, from... that drives that country is a kind of a two-edged sword. You know, they don't need anybody's permission to do whatever they please, but they can't figure out how to apologize for doing things that kill their own people without losing face. So... You know, the political exigencies of doing business with the People's Republic of China are complicated by the way they operate. What we do know is that our technology uh, will eventually find its way to China. Uh, we're happy to talk with people who uh, are willing to have a conversation with us about the strategic issues that need to be addressed in order for that to be done effectively in a way that protects the technology, but which also makes it available to solve the problem. Give and our the, listeners you know, an assignment, David. Give us a website yeah. and an assignment. I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. Give my listeners an assignment. In other words, uh, a call to action here. Yes? Do you have one for my listeners? Tell them what you want them to do. What we want them to do is communicate with us uh, they can communicate with us via our website at uh, www.novaiot.com. They can communicate with me on my personal website, davidgyurth.com. Uh, they can communicate with us via our Facebook page for Nova Institute of Technology, or they can communicate with me and the members of our senior executive management team. Uh, each of us have web pages on LinkedIn. Uh, what we want to know is how do we join hands with people who have access to the resources and the contacts that can get this technology out of the laboratory and into the marketplace to solve the problem without losing our traction as we cross the minefield. We're looking for good strategic partners, and we're anxious to hear from them. Here in Ontario, uh, we have Magna. Are you familiar with Frank Stronach, uh, his company? Uh, Frank, I don't believe, mm -hmm. is in, involved mm -hmm. in the company more, but Belinda Stronach, Magna. Uh, yep. they, they, have, they seem to be innovators. Uh, has there been any communication with Magna? Not that I'm aware of. Hmm. All right. We've had a number of contacts come in from people who've been in the coal business, who've been in... Uh, the government agencies in the provinces at the highest level. Uh, we've been talking with folks who uh, have capitalized many of the energy companies that are in the energy generation business in Canada. Uh, we're very encouraged by the conversations we're having with those folks. One, they want to solve the problem. Two, they have the resources. Three, they have the vision 
and four, they're really excellent people. Well, David, so, I'd like to um, uh, to check in with you periodically on this program and uh, also uh, on Coast and uh, see if we can't, you know, push this thing along a little bit. I'll do my little part uh, because what what you know what good am I if I if I can't put these uh, airwaves to, to to some use in that regard? Thank well, you, David. I just I just want to thank you so much for your kindness and extending the courtesy of being able to have this conversation with your listeners. Uh, I also want to thank our partners at the Dandelion Books, who who have been so good to help us get these technologies that, uh, into the market. Who've been publishing our our books and and providing information for our supporters. We've got a great team. Okay, and we're looking for good partners, and we really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. My pleasure, David. Thank you for this. All right, StrangePlanet.ca is the website. Follow me on Twitter at Richard Serrett, and as always, follow the truth. Mm-hmm.